Hey everyone, back again. Today I want to talk about Maria Lagones' essay, Heterosexualism and the Colonial Modern Gender System. Now I gotta give credit to the Rhizomatic Memer on Instagram. If you don't follow the Rhizomatic Memer, you should uh, for funny theory-focused memes because they recommended this to me and I wasn't familiar with this essay. So if you don't already, go and follow them on Instagram. It's a great page. You'll learn lots, you'll laugh. It's perfect, it's perfect. So I'm gonna talk about this essay because it's a really good one and it follows our theme of post-colonial studies. Now before jumping into it, hi, I'm David. I explain philosophical concepts and ideas and ways to make them accessible to you. So if you're new here, you, you can subscribe. See videos I release every week, sometimes twice a week. You can go check out my 300 episodes I already have up. You can follow me on Instagram at theory underscore and underscore philosophy or on Twitter at David Guineo if you're interested in that. You can help me out monetarily via Patreon or PayPal, but obviously no pressure. Uh, my cat is on my lap. And if you're listening to this in podcast form, you wouldn't see that. So if you want to see the video of a cat on my lap, then you can find this on YouTube. If you found this on YouTube, you're going to be able to find the audio only on any podcast platform if you're into that. And uh, yeah, let's jump into this short but extremely dense essay on the role of heterosexualism within colonialism, within any kind of colonial paradigm. So what Lugonis is offering us here is a way to understand colonial relations as not just being contingent upon beliefs that certain races are superior to others, even though that's a very big part of it, or that people are just seeking economic profit or economic gain through colonialism, she's also offering us a way to understand the way that heterosexualism and a preference for heterosexuality and the binary gender system, how a preference for these systems also operates to alienate colonized people from their own traditions in different ways, in different settings, depending on their own traditions, and to impose a certain hierarchization into those settings and a binarism that is totally alien to most people across the world. Now this gender system, the introduction of this system that works off of a gender binary where men are assumed to have certain characteristics based off of their genitalia, whereas women are assumed to have certain characteristics based off of their genitalia, is introduced by mostly European colonizers into various settings. And because these settings are widely different between Europe and any of these settings, and among these settings themselves, they are widely different from one to the other. Despite that, it's important to note that the experiences with this kind of gender binary are going to radically affect these people in different ways. Where in Europe, it might make sense to these people, and that's okay. And in another setting, it might be totally different. And we're going to get into how they are totally different in all these different settings. Now, for colonized people, the imposition of a certain kind of gender binary or a gender dynamic was totally alien to them. But it came alongside racial dynamics, the imposition of racial identities to suggest that some people are superior to others while other people are not. It also came alongside a capitalist economy that was largely alien to many people around the world. Now it's important to understand how these different forces intersect with one another and to understand how they work together. And the reason for that 
is that any way to account for any one of them is going to fall short unless it accounts for the other two. And that is because they all belong to an ideological shift born out of Europe, mostly, that sought to make the world more coded, that sought to map the world and to make it graspable and understandable, to reduce people to broad systematic categories that can be cataloged, that could then be codified, and could then be controlled. So in the case of like feminist thought, if feminist thought is not going to consider the ways in which that patriarchy is going to exert itself differently on different people in different settings, then it is going to fall short. So in the case of colonized people, their experience with patriarchy is going to be different than people, than women in Europe, let's say, where in the case of Europe, women are going to be experienced oppression on their inability to actually attain the same kind of economic, political, social positions as men. Whereas in colonized settings, where all people are denied any such access to these positions, women and men, but women really more specifically, are going to experience oppression differently. And they're going to experience it at an intensified rate than anyone else. And to really start to think about this, Lugonis draws upon the work of Keanu, which I hope I'm pronouncing right. As a, as a funny story, I've done, I've done some episodes on Gloria and Zaldúa, and I don't normally like to digress like this, but it's, it's funny in that it makes me look stupid. Um, and I was like, oh, well, I really have to put in the work uh, because pronunciation is important to me, and I really you know, I do my best to try to pronounce people's names as correctly as I can. And I did all this work trying to find out how to pronounce Anzaldúa, and I was consulting all of these Spanish sources, but the problem was I was, I think, I was consulting like Spanish-Spain sources who pronounced her name something like uh, Anzaldúa. And I was like, oh, you know, that must be right. And I found like a few sources that did that. And I'm like, okay, you know, that must be how to say her name. But no, I just am a clown. Uh, that's how people in, in Spain would, might pronounce her name or in other parts of the world, but not how she herself would have pronounced her own name. So Anzaldúa, Lugonis, and now Keanu, uh, which I think is right. So Keanu gives us the notion that Lugonis draws upon of the coloniality of power. And this notion, to put it really simply, is to suggest that power tries to impose itself on other people all the time. If you have power, or power is embodied in any institution, it's going to want to escape that and to exert itself in a bunch of other places. Hence, the coloniality of power. It's desire to go beyond itself into other domains to infect those domains with its own desires, the, the way that it wants to see itself uh, realized everywhere else. Now, power is going to exert itself in such a way as to produce material effects in the world, and these effects are going to be multifaceted in that power finds itself, and I think it's important too, or one way to help think about this is how Foucault imagines power as being a kind of driving factor, driving force within institutions that helps to organize and shape institutions in the most efficient way possible to render people into subjects so that they best work for those institutions, for those systems. And so when Lugonis draws upon Keanu here, she is saying that he is identifying the ways in which that different systems are going to coordinate themselves by their mutual desire to exercise the power embedded within them. 
And so there are going to be material effects produced, but from many different angles. And so what you get are incredibly complicated systems where economic trade routes, let's say, between a colonized nation and a metropole are going to be affected by certain other dynamics, like patriarchal ones, where women are going to be excluded, for example, from these types of exchanges, where it's going to be men with exchanging with men, where in the case of for example, in the North American context, in colonial North America, where a people like the Iroquois were uh, matriarchal, European colonizers would only engage with the men there to conduct their economic exploitation of those people. And so what we see is power exerting itself and having material effects in the way that people are affected in the world. Power is exerting itself on multiple fronts. It's exerting itself economically, exploiting these people, exerting itself patriarch patriarchically, genderly, in that it is only going to appreciate men in that setting. Now, Keanu is mostly interested in this coloniality of power in terms of race, in that he is saying that race is a purely a construct. It was something that was born out of the European scientific imagination that sought to try to classify people it just reduced entire differences between people, let's say within Africa, reducing what are millions of different cultures, millions of different identities, if you count for uh, disconnected villages and communities, maybe not millions, but many, many different people and identities, reducing them to their skin color under a kind of the, the auspices of a scientific quote-unquote rationality. So he's pointing to the ways in which this is entirely a fiction. And through this fiction comes to be a truth. And that truth is the fact that in being reduced to this, these people can be then all exploited at the same, to the same degree or to similar degrees and can be used to just justify an exploitation of those people that can be adopted by other colonial regimes. And the coloniality of power extends beyond this as well. It's gonna, it's gonna affect things like sexual access, it's gonna affect the production of knowledge, labor, and so on. Now, Lugonis's criticism here of Keanu is, is very complicated because she suggests that it, is not, it does not account for the intersectional dynamics of oppression in enough detail as it should. So Keanu is interested in the way that race is constructed. However, when it comes to gender, Keanu seems to reduce women to their biology in their reproductive capacities to other physiological functions, and the same thing with men, which Lugonis says is ironic because Keanu very correctly demonstrates that race is a construct. How is it not the case then that gender can be seen as a construct? So to problematize this simple connection of biology and gender, which I will B, I will admit, I don't think Lugonis does, uh, does best. Um, other people do it better and she does other things better. But in order to understand this and to unpack the way that gender is not true, so to speak, she demonstrates, she draws upon the experiences of intersex people who are assigned a gender at birth, despite the fact that their genitalia might be ambiguous or their other physiological factors, their chromosomal set up their morphology might not actually comply with their their gender and she says this she uses this to say 
that there is not a clear, simple, one-to-one relationship between one's biology and one's gender identity. Now again, there are much better criticisms of this, people who have demonstrated in, in profound ways the tenuous connection between gender and sex. And people like Judith Butler have gone so far as to say, in a very persuasive way, that even our characterization of sex seems to be determined by our understanding of gender, where it seems like gender sets the stage for our understanding of sex, which is like, it seems to not be in line with anything that we know. We view sex as being the determining factor, whereas Butler shows that historically, there are other driving factors here that came out of cultural beliefs that sought to impose gendered language, gendered ideals onto people's bodies, onto their quote-unquote sex on their physiology. Yeah, I digress. Now, some people who, who were colonized by Europe actually had categories for people who fell outside of the gender binary, where there were some communities who very much believed that there were men and there were women, and there were other communities who left room and understood, believed there to be a third category of somebody who didn't, somebody who didn't quite fit into either. And she uses this just to show that it is not so much European scientific knowledge that is, has discovered this connection between sex and gender. Instead, it is something that has been imposed by them. And if you impose it enough and get more and more people to adopt it, then you know it's easy to say, oh, it's true, everyone believes this. But you must look at the historical conditions that made it so that everyone actually believes this. How did this come into being? Is it, just, is it just magic? How do we then account for the fact that different people have very different understandings of gender and the relationship between bodies and their gender identities? So the imposition of a gender binary was useful for Europe because it was a great way to subordinate half of the population. It would say, oh, these people are women. Uh, women aren't as smart as men. They aren't as productive as men. They are only good at X, Y, Z functions, so therefore we can justify them fulfilling those functions and that's it. And it was a very effective way for them to extend that oppressive mechanism into or onto colonized people, even though they didn't believe that, they, they did not submit to these ideals. So for example, the Yoruba people, and this comes out of the work of um, Ogubumi. Uh, the Yoruba people uh, had an acknowledgement of the difference between uh, gender difference between men and women. It was a very faint one, and it didn't come to actually bear upon social dynamics, upon their community settings, upon relationships between people. It didn't have these kinds of major effects that it does within Europe, which is just another way to identify the ways in which the connection between gender as it is constructed in the European imagination, doesn't really hold up when we consider other kinds of community dynamics, where it is not given nearly as much significance as it is in the European setting. And the effects of this extend even beyond the physical realm into the metaphysical, into the divine, where in the case of many indigenous communities within North America, divine figures were always associated with, in some indigenous communities, not all of them, uh, divine figures would often be associated with femininity, 
where Earth was talked about as Mother Earth, Mother Air, Mother Universe, and so on. And European colonialism, of course, with all of its Christian dogma, sought to impose, instead of there being many gods, instead of a polytheistic way of looking at the world, or any other way of looking at the world that doesn't comply with polytheism even, to impose a monotheism that was patriarchal. There's a dude up in the sky, a white dude from Jerusalem a few thousand years ago, who's up in the sky with his pops, who's got a big white beard, he's probably a white guy for whatever reason, and you know, you just have to accept that. So there was so much that came along with the imposition of this new modern colonial gender system into colonized communities. And it would have effect on people, how people organize themselves politically in these communities, where the Cherokee nation within um, Canada and into the United States was often organized where people, a man and a woman would actually organize the community, where the men would be responsible for like trade with other communities and women would organize internal affairs. There are also settings in which dynamics in which women would actually handle uh, warfare would choose who would live and who would die in the case of like prisoners of war, for example. That completely flies in the face of our understandings of femininity and masculinity, and therefore the ways that we bestow certain meaning upon sexual identity to say that, oh, people with penises are supposed to act in XYZ ways, people with vaginas are supposed to act in XYZ ways, people without are meant to, I don't even know where they fit in the European imagination, they're probably just, you know, they're just assigned some gender identity. But in any case, it disrupts this implicit attachment of a gender with a specific bodily configuration. And the intensity of the sexism was amplified because of the other racist tendencies of colonial regimes and the capitalist ones that sought to exploit people, separate people on the basis of race as well, to make them ripe for exploitation. And all of these things go together. And it's so in the case of like feminist criticisms of colonialism or of patriarchy, those espoused largely, and this is uh, Lugonis writing many years ago, this is at a time in which feminists were largely just concerned with the experiences of white women not really concerned with how oppression works differently against women of color and women of color who've been colonized. So Lugonis gives us here two more terms to understand this dynamic where she says that in the case of white women, white colonial uh, women or white European women, they experience what she calls the light side of the gender system that exerts itself not through violent force, but through the submission of women to men, to work, largely for men, which isn't good, but to make them subordinate to men while enjoying many privileges as well and participating in the subordination of women of color. So what was often seen is that uh, women in colonial settings would participate in enslaving women of color and men of color, colonized men and women in those settings. So they were complicit, they were culpable in that dynamic. Whereas colonized people experience what she calls the dark side of the gender system that exerts itself through violent force to subordinate entire swaths of the population at the risk of death, where if they did not comply, they would just their lives were just seen as meaningless unless they could uh, allow someone else to accumulate profit, they would just be killed 
for non-compliance, which is a very different dynamic. So what Lugonis is giving us is really in line with what we see with Kimberly Crenshaw and her notion of intersectionality to understand the varying ways in which colonialism affects differently situated people and really how it affects women in a very intense way. And yeah, that's pretty well it. Thanks again to the rhizomatic memer for suggesting this. Uh, it's a tough one. Uh, and I really recommend you all go and read it. If there's anything I got wrong or anything I excluded, I'd love to hear about it. If you like what I did, you can like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. You might get a kick out of it. And yeah, on that note, 